verses 22 and 23. Jesus is quoted as telling his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Tie-in is pretty obvious. Following Jesus requires taking up our own cross daily. Following Jesus requires taking up our cross. What does that mean? Taking up our cross means that we too will have to suffer many things. That's what Jesus had just said. He said, look, I'm going to suffer many things and be killed. Taking up one's cross means suffering many things throughout that process, just like Jesus did during his whole crucifixion experience, as he said right there in Luke 9, 22 and 23. We actually have a saying in our vernacular today that comes from that, a saying that encompasses any and all sorts of intense personal struggles. How many times have you heard the phrase, we all have our crosses to bear? And indeed, we do. In fact, we all do so much. That is the title of this morning's lesson. We all have our crosses to bear. But I'm going to come from that a little bit differently than we typically might. Because indeed, we all do. And notice how I emphasize that word all. That's very important. We all do. You see, I think sometimes that we can let Satan get us to the point that we think that we, and, and everybody does it, I think, that we personally think that we're the only ones that are struggling or suffering in the same way that we actually are, or as much as we are in the entire congregation. It, it's possible to do that. Have you ever gotten into a struggle yourself and it just wore at you and it tore at you and, and you didn't want to tell anybody because you thought, man, this is I, I'm probably the only person and, and nobody could understand what I'm going through. And I think that's one of the ways that Satan isolates us. It's amazing how sometimes when you begin to open up about what you're struggling with, somebody else say, let me tell you what, I do know because I've got the same problem. You see, I think we can eventually become so consumed with our own crosses and our own crises and our own struggles and our own circumstances to the point that we lose sight of the fact that the rest of our brethren sitting here in this church building or sitting at home going through the same thing we are. We're all in the same boat. That's what Peter, in 1 Peter 4.12, as it's listed in the ESV, says. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He said, look, don't think it's some weird, strange, far out, never happened before thing when you struggle. He said, that's not some strange thing. He goes on in chapter 5, verses 6 through 9 of 1 Peter, according to the ESV, to say this, and tie, it ties right in. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, 
casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Now watch this. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, here it comes, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Did you catch it? He said, you're not alone in your struggles. You're not. You are not the only one with a problem. You are not the only one with that particular problem, perhaps. You are not the only one that's struggling with a sin. And he's not demeaning it, not at all. Please don't anybody go home and say, well, Doug doesn't care what I'm going through. That, that's not the point. That's not the point at all. But the point is, is that sometimes we can feel so isolated and, and, and Peter's saying, look, these same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not the only one struggling with a situation. You probably aren't even the only one struggling with that same situation. Yours is not an isolated instance that nobody else in the church can sympathize with. So don't let Satan isolate you. Don't let him overwhelm you. Don't let him take you down and destroy you that way. Isn't that how lions work? Roaring, let's go back to roaring lions. Let's go back to um, you know, one of these channels where you watch all these nature programs. Let's talk about lions for a minute. How do they operate? If you got lions or you got wolves, what's the first thing they do when they come on the herd? They try to single out a weak one, a slow one, a young one, right? Because that's easy prey to take down. You don't see them usually taking on the big, strong bulls. You see them trying to isolate a calf. You see them trying to isolate a weak one, a young one. That's how roaring lions, that's how wolves, that's how these predators work. And what Satan wants to do is isolate. You know how those, those herds of wolves or lions, they'll come in and, and they'll cut the young one out and they'll separate the young one from their mother, right? Get them away from the protection and take them down. You see, Satan, like a roaring lion, tries to do the thing, same thing to us, make us feel isolated and alone in our struggle. Peter said, don't let him do it. And I love the phenomenal promise of verse 10 especially the way the English Standard Version words it. It says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I love that promise. But even that promise does not ease all of the current pain of some of the crosses that we have to bear. You know, I think most of us can identify at some point in our lives with, maybe all too often, with the weak, struggling, and deeply troubled David of Psalm 6. Turn to Psalm 6. Psalm 6, look at me first off at verses 2 through 4. Look at David's struggle. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Have you ever been so troubled it hurts right to, the, right to your bones, right to your soul? He said, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me. 
for the sake of your steadfast love. See, David's not saying, hey, I'm such a great guy, help me out here. He said, I am a total mess. I hurt to my soul because of your goodness, God. Come and help me. He goes on to say in verses six and seven, I'm weary with my moaning. He said, I have worn myself out mourning over this. Every night, not just once in a while, I flood my bed with tears. He didn't say I have an occasional tear over this. He said, every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Look what he says in Psalm 69, one through three. David also writes there, Psalm 69, verses one through three. Save me, O God. The waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there's no foothold. He said, I'm in quicksand here. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. God, I've asked for help for so long. I'm, I'm, I'm all dried out in my throat. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. While David's enemies were more of a physical threat like foreign kings and armies, ours our enemies, our crosses to bear, if you will, that so often seek to consume us and weigh us down and sweep over and overwhelm us are typically not physical enemies, but more of a psychological or circumstantial nature. And while we all know from personal experience, the point of this lesson is not our own personal individual struggles. That's not it. The point of this lesson is the fact that every other member of the body of Christ has got them too. That's the point. Okay, and it's, I want it so clear, I'm telling you. Okay, the point is, Jesus said early on, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. That means that everybody that's a Christian has got crosses to bear, doesn't it? Everybody that's following him. What does that mean? That means everybody else in this church got issues too. They got struggles. They got burdens. They're weighed down. Their heart's heavy. All of them. Every other member of the body of Christ around us is more than likely struggling mightily, maybe even staggering spiritually and psychologically under the weight of whatever their particular, massive, incredibly painful burdens and crosses that they are bearing are. Some people may be struggling in this congregation, for example, with the possibly soon approaching or even recently occurring death of a loved one. Some may be struggling mightily with that. Maybe with their own aging, their own isolation, their own loneliness, or fear of being alone. I've heard it said it's possible to feel alone in a crowd. It is. Maybe some are struggling with being burnt out or stressed out or overscheduled or overwhelmed. That's not an age thing. Anybody from the youngest of our high school students to the oldest of our members can struggle with burnout, stress out, overschedule, being overwhelmed. Maybe some in this congregation, their crosses to bear are a debilitating physical health issue of their own or somebody else's that they love. Maybe it's family issues. Be surprised when somebody starts talking about family problems and struggles and issues that they're having, how many other people say, man, I am right there with you. I'm bearing that same burden. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's what the future holds. 
Maybe it's unsaved or unfaithful spouses. Maybe it's unsaved or unfaithful adult children. Maybe, maybe it's how many souls are going to be lost because of this COVID thing and, and folks struggling, but, but, but they're not going to survive this crisis with their faith and their soul still saved and intact. Maybe those are some of the struggles, and I'm sure there's many others that some of our brethren are having. Maybe this morning, sitting right here in these pews or sitting right there at home. And please, one more time, while I mean no disrespect whatsoever to or any minimiza minimization of anyone's personal crosses here this morning, which you are personally bearing, the point of the lesson is, is to try to help open all of our eyes to the fact everybody else is struggling with something too. That's the point. Many of the brethren that you're sitting here with this morning or that are sitting at home, they may never have mentioned their struggles. That doesn't mean they ain't having them. They may have never mentioned their burdens. Doesn't mean they're not carrying them. Many of our brethren may struggle or suffer in silence, but they're still struggling or suffering nonetheless. And, and in many cases, it's those whom you might not expect from outward appearance. Turn to me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 11. From outward appearance, you say, man, they're not struggling. We all remember the exploits and accomplishments of the mighty Apostle Paul, how he became a Christian and he was so grateful for grace, he charged all over the known world, baptizing people, starting congregations, preaching and teaching, being run out of one town, take off to the next, being stoned and left. This guy was everywhere preaching the word. If it wasn't for him, our Bibles would be a whole bunch lighter. The mighty Apostle Paul, surely he never struggled. I mean, he was a church leader. You know what? Church leaders struggle too. 2 Corinthians 11, look what he says, verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, Perils of robbers, perils for my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, Paul said, I am so tired I can't stand it. In sleeplessness, often. In hunger and thirst. In cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? He said, this burdens me every single day. My deep concern for all the churches, and, and here comes the punchline, Paul says, <laughs> you want to look at him as some great church leader that never struggled with anything? He said, who's weak and I'm not weak? That's an are you kidding me statement? Who's made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation? He said, look, I struggle. Even the greatest of God's servants, like the Apostle Paul, had their own private, painful, and seldom shared crosses to bear. Something like his thorn in the flesh, which he mentions in the very next chapter in verses 7 through 12. You see, Paul, you look at him and you think, man, he just, he got it all together. He's got it made. But you see, everybody struggles with something. I don't care how long we've been a Christian. You look at some of our older members and say, well, they've been a Christian 50 years. Certainly, they got it all together. You know what? 
I don't care if they've been a Christian for 150 years. Chances are they're struggling with something because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up the cross daily. And his taking up his cross meant he was going to suffer. David did. Paul did. Nobody's immune. Doesn't matter whether you're the most mature church leader to the most casual attendee or anybody else in between. Everybody that's following Jesus is bearing their burdens and carrying their crosses daily because if they're not, then they're not a Christian. Every one of you brethren struggling with something. It doesn't matter if they're young or old. Doesn't matter if they're male or female. Doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. Doesn't matter whether they're married or single. Perhaps that's why Paul wrote what he did to the Church of Christ in Colossae. Turn with me to Colossians 3. Maybe this is why he wrote this. Colossians chapter 3, amongst other reasons. Colossians 3.12. Look what he says to the church. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all those things, above all these things, everything he's just mentioned, he says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Brethren, the church is not a party for the perfect. The church is a hospital for the hurting. The church is not a party for the perfect. It is a hospital for the hurting. And we are all sitting in the waiting room together, waiting to see and be healed by the great physician. That's why we're here. Remember a couple of months ago, Karen and I had to go uh, for COVID tests, and we went to a, a local um, medical facility and as we sat there that morning, there was this, this girl there. And man, she was sick. Had her mask on, but she's sitting there in that waiting room. And she is, she's bent right over. She's just in pain. You could hear when, when her phone would ring. And she talk, I mean, she was just hurting, waiting to see somebody. And we are all sitting in the waiting room to see the great physician. And we got brethren that may not go, oh, man, I am struggling so hard. I, 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 I can't, I can't, wow. But I'll tell you what, we got brethren that are spiritually struggling that way. We got brethren that are psychologically and emotionally suffering that way. We're all sitting in the waiting room. Now, now Karen and I didn't go to that young lady because there wasn't much we could do to heal her suffering. But we can go to each other as we sat in this waiting room waiting to be healed by the great physician. And so this morning, I want to share with us all God's fail-safe, Savior-tested and approved, cure and prescription in order to avoid becoming so overwhelmed and overcome by our own personal struggles. Now, here's the cure, here's the answer, here's the prescription. Jesus tested it, we see it, we know it works, okay? Now when I bring this up, you're gonna say, or think, are you crazy? But, but give me time and I'll prove it. I'm not crazy, I'm not, I studied this out, it's true, okay? It is one of the greatest biblical paradoxes of all time. The cure for not becoming overwhelmed and overcome by some of our own personally burdensome crosses, you know what this is? 
to take on the weight of the crosses of those around us. You say, wait a minute, by increasing the weight on me? Let me show you how this works. Like I said, it's savior tested and approved. The way to alleviate my own struggle with carrying my own cross is to add more weight somebody else's cross. Yeah, uh-huh. Before you think I'm crazy, consider this. What was the, one of the greatest secrets? What was one of the greatest secrets to Jesus' incredible personal endurance while he suffered everything that was involved with his cross or crucifixion experience? What was one of his greatest strengths? What allowed him to endure that so well? Although there were several factors, one of the answers is real easy. His focus was away from his own pain and suffering, his own cross, to alleviating the suffering of those around him. That's what carried him through. Prove it to you. Turn to me in your Bibles, John 13. We're going to take a very quick trip through the latter chapters of John and a couple from Luke. John chapter 13. Turn there, please. John 13, the very beginning of time spent that night before he's arrested and crucified, his bearing his cross, his crucifixion experience. It says in John 13, 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, and he knew how that was going to happen, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew. John 18 and verse 4 tells us Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. We could go back and read Psalm 22, some of the very words he would utter on the cross. Jesus had known since the beginning of time what he was going to have to endure. But that night, what's his focus on? His focus is on loving and taking care of their needs to the absolute end of this life, despite what he had to suffer. Consider John 14. Look at where his focus is. Instead of his own cross, look what he says. John 14, 1 through 3. What does he say? He looks at them and he says, let not your heart be troubled. You see his focus? His focus isn't on, oh, you guys got to help me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, he's still ministering to them. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I'll come again and take you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. What's, what's his focus? I'll come back. Don't you worry. Don't you worry at all. I, I won't forget you. You're going to struggle, but I, I'll be with you. I'm coming back for you. John 14, look what he says in verse 27. I'm just going to hit some highlights here. 27, he said, peace I leave with you. What's his focus? Damn, I, I want you people to have peace. Brethren, I want you to have peace, he says. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Well, Jesus, what about your heart? The cross is coming. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back. He didn't say, you've heard me say, I'm, man, this is going to be so bad. That's not even his focus. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Look in John 15, verse 11. Yes, we're going through several. 15, verse 11. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. What's his focus? Your joy, I want you to be joyful. The, the whole reason I'm telling you all this stuff, Jesus said, is, is for your joy. See how he ministered to them? John 16, look at verses one and four and seven. John 16, one, four and seven. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Verse four. These things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. When you encounter these struggles, I want you to think back and you're gonna remember, hey, this is just what Jesus said, Jesus knew. It's to comfort them. Verse seven, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. The whole reason I'm doing this is for you. That was always his focus. Look at verse 33, same chapter, last verse. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. I'm only worried about you. In the world you will have tribulation, but but be of good courage. I've overcome the world. In John 18, if we skip over 17 and we come to 18, we would notice in verses one through eight that they come to arrest Jesus. And what does he do? They come to arrest Jesus. And he comes out and tells them in the first eight verses, I I'm the one you want. Let these guys go. What's his focus? Making sure that they're okay. He doesn't care about himself. He knows what he's going to have to do. He knows the cross, the literal cross, that he's going to have to bear until he just can't bear it anymore. But his focus is on them. Turn to me to Luke. Luke is full of this as well. It's not just John. We'll come back to John to finish up here in a minute. But turn to me to Luke 23. This is incredible. Just incredible. All through his carrying his own cross, what carried him, amongst other things, was his focus on taking care of everybody else first. Luke 23, beginning at verse 26, look what happens. As they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Siren, a Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. The great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. Now keep in mind, Jesus isn't standing there like I'm standing here. Jesus is struggling. He can't even carry his own cross. He has been beaten. He has been abused. He has been scourged. His back is probably open to the spine. He's had this crown of thorns driven, beaten into his head. The man is a bloody mass of humanity. He's not just standing there saying, hey, ladies, don't worry about me. I wonder if they could even understand him through what was probably swollen and busted lips from the beating he had taken. But look what he says nonetheless. Jesus turning to them, and, and you can almost see him struggling. You can almost see him. He, he, they got somebody else carrying his cross. He can't carry it. And, 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 turn, and keep in mind that they're leading him away. These Roman soldiers were not nice people. Okay, they're trying to usher him and get this job done and, and these other two and get him through the crowds and get him through the streets. Then Jesus didn't just turn around, like I said, like I'm talking to you, like it was some easy thing to do. But Jesus, turning to them, said, daughters of Jerusalem, don't wait for me. And you can see the soldiers just trying in your mind to, to get, get this over with. They don't care about these women and what he's got to say to them. Don't wait for me. Weep for yourselves 
and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they'll begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and on the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? Jesus is just simply saying, look, if you belong to God and they'll do this to the very Son of God, what are they going to do to you? Don't wait for me. You cry for what's coming. Jesus' concern, even in that bloody state, was not his own blood, but their problems. Verses 33 and 4 of the same chapter. When they come to a place called Calvary, there they crucified him. Okay, the nails are in him, brethren. The blood's really running now. And they crucified him, the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. And Jesus said, I'll get, no, 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 no. He said, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're, what's Jesus' concern? Them. And finally, in Luke, verses 39 through 43 of the same chapter, we would, of course, read of the two thieves. And even on the cross, Jesus told this thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's concerned about him. His concern for others who were struggling is what carried him through the cross, one of those elements. Finally, back in John, and I had, to, I had to go to Luke because there's a couple things there in that process John didn't tell us, but back in John, please notice verses 25 through 28 of chapter 19. We know the story. John 19, 25, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. He said to the disciple, behold your mother. And that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus is on, Jesus, uh, <laughs> he's on the cross. And, 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 and his concern? For the disciple he loved and for his mother's care. That's his focus. I mean, the blood's running, people. After this, verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all things are now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. What's he concerned about? His father's will and the scripture being fulfilled instead of his own pain and suffering? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 confirm for us that in order not to become weary and discouraged in our own souls, that we must both examine and then emulate Jesus' example on the cross. If we want to not become weary and discouraged in our souls, then we need to take a lesson from Jesus on the cross and how he bore his cross. And that was to understand everybody else was struggling and to help them as much as he could. Do you know it's a command that we do that? If we were to turn, we're not going to, but if we were to turn to Galatians 5, 13 and 14, we would see there that it says, through love, serve one another. Then it goes on a few verses later in Galatians 6, in verse 2, and it says, therefore, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Selfishly serving 
and focusing even on our own will and wants and desires and even our own struggles all the time. And I'm not demeaning or diminishing anybody's struggles. I'm not. So help me, I'm not. But to only focus on our own will and wants and desires and struggles and burdens and circumstances not only gives us a sinfully exaggerated sense of self-importance, but it can wind up leaving us very bitter, very angry, very grumpy, contentious, uncompassionate, quick-tempered, even cantankerous. If all we're focused on is our own struggle and getting so locked into that, we can get so furious and so frustrated that when somebody says good morning, say good morning! That wasn't Jesus' response. response. But if, on the other hand, we are more aware of and seeking to daily serve and alleviate somebody else's struggling and suffering instead, it uh, somehow makes my own seem so much more manageable. And you see, that is some of the godly wisdom right there that we see behind this biblical paradox of adding the weight of somebody else's burdens to the weight of my own in order to help alleviate the weight of both of them. That's how it works. That's how Jesus did it. Sort of reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said according to Luke in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35 where he said, in all these things I have shown to you, shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give and to receive. Sadly, some of the religious leaders of Jesus' day never saw that godly wisdom. They never understood that wisdom and therefore they never experienced the blessing of doing that and brought an even greater pain upon themselves. Matthew 23, verse 4, and Luke 11, verse 46. The secret to surviving and even thriving, thriving, while under the weight of our own particular burdens and the crosses which we must personally bear, is during that time to focus heavily on helping those around us with their burdens who are Christians. And they all have them. From the least to the greatest. And don't you ever forget that. Because by doing that, I lose sight of some of my own and I grow even stronger in the process. That as opposed to getting so caught up and overwhelmed and mired in my own that I wind up going down in flames anyway because I did not follow the example of the Savior. As God said to his Old Testament people through the prophet Isaiah, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Isaiah 28 and verse 12. Will we hear? They would not hear and so they could not be refreshed because their rest lay in helping the others who were weary to rest. And they wouldn't hear, will we? It all begins when we listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, where Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
You see, there's one thing we can't help anybody with. There's one thing we can't even help ourselves with, and that's getting rid of our sin. Once it's there, it's there. That's the one burden that, that we can't do anything about. We can't pray it away. We can't talk it away. We can't take some divine eraser and erase it away in and of ourselves. We can't bear that burden for ourselves or anybody. Only Jesus is the way to the Father. Only Jesus can take away the sins that weigh us down and, and entangle us. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But look at the rest of what Jesus said in that text. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What have we learned from Jesus this morning? See, that, that's, that's the tie-in here. What have we learned from Jesus this morning? We've learned from Jesus that we all have crosses to bear who are following him, and that the way to get through ours the easiest or the best is to help somebody else with theirs. That's how. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Brethren, the way that we find rest for our souls, the way that we find rest with the crosses that we must bear, the way that we do that is to follow Jesus' example and help somebody else with theirs. If you're struggling this morning, one of the greatest things you can do is, is share it with, with somebody in the church, Share it. You'd be amazed how many people have struggled with the same thing. Share it with somebody in the church, or, or better yet, look for somebody else who's struggling with something. Believe me, it's not that hard to find. And help them with theirs, and you would be amazed how that will strengthen you and yours. Work for Jesus, right? Let it work for you. This morning, if you're here and you've never obeyed the gospel by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, letting Jesus take those sins away, which only he can do. Or if you're here this morning, or you're at home this morning, let's take those here first. If you're here this morning and you say, and you know what? It's absolutely right. I've been struggling and I, I need some of my brethren to talk to me. I need some help. Or you need the prayers of the church for that. Or if you're at home and you need the prayers, email us, text us, do whatever you have to do, but don't bear your burden by yourself. You don't have to. Don't let Satan isolate you, because he will if he can. Let us help you bear your burden, or else you go find somebody else who's got one and help them bear theirs. Either way, we'd love to help in any way we can as we stand and sing.